Alright guys, welcome into another Marvelous Depths. This time we're breaking down the OG Spider-Man with Ron. You probably remember him from back when he used to show up on the podcast. Hopefully we get him around a little bit more often. But uh, he's excited. He's been wanting to do Spider-Man for a while. So glad we finally get to talk about it, break it down. I know we talked about Spider-Man a little bit back when No Way Far From Home, the last one came out. I forget which one's which. You guys all know that. But... We uh, This is a chance for us to get a little more in-depth to it. As always, this series' main goal is for us to connect to these movies, try to understand why people have opinions they have on movies other than just spouting weird things about CGI and choreography and things that really, I don't think, actually make much difference in someone's enjoyment of a movie. And that's sort of the point of this series. And Ron is going to help us explore that in the original trilogy of Spider-Man. Ron, go ahead and say hi. Tell us why you love Spider-Man, why you love this original trilogy in the yeah. briefest of turns. Um, I think the original Spider-Man trilogy has a sense of earnestness about it. For instance, most of the humor comes out of things that would, I think, actually happen in real life and are not necessarily super shoehorned in. I think the movies are a pretty realistic depiction of what having a type of double life between being a superhero and other things would look like. Um, and I personally relate a lot to Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker in terms of um, a lot of those struggles that he has in terms of him being like a nerd, but then also things related to his double life. Um, I yeah, connect with a lot more than most other superhero characters. All right. Perfect. We'll, uh, we don't want this to be the longest episode of all time, so we are covering three movies, so we'll be a little more brief with each movie as we as we go here, but I think we'll jump right into it. The core element, I think everyone would agree with Spider-Man, is who he is as Peter, I think is the essential part of what it is, I think, for Batman. I think being getting to know Bruce Wayne is the most important part of enjoying a Batman movie. And getting to connect with Peter when he's Peter is the most important part of Spider-Man. So talk about just the original, like talk about the setup itself. Not necessarily how he evolves throughout the whole show, but that introduction, that start, you see him, um, you know, on the bus scene and everything like that. How yeah. does this movie set it up and does it do a good job hooking you in immediately? Um, I think so. I think they set up pretty early on who Peter is in a way that makes you feel sorry for him, makes you root for him. Um, I mean, yeah, he's the bookish guy, big nerd, misunderstood, has one friend, right? Has the girl he's been pining after for forever, right? Toby McGuire is able to convey all of that lots of the times through just small glances. Um, and in these movies in particular, which I had forgotten about, the camera does a lot of close-ins even on his face. Um, you like very feel like you're very much in his his day to day life, um, yeah. And then with that, uh, the the movies overall, I feel like can be kind of unrelenting in terms of like they'll just stack really bad things happening to Peter back to back. Each movie has usually a sequence or two like that, and the and the first movie starts that way. You've got you know like showing that he's bullied, showing he can't get the girl, um, showing that he's got kind of like a rough home life in terms of like, it's not what he would probably want it to look like. Um, yeah. All, all back to back. Um, I mean, him, him trying to run after the school bus, right. Even like the small things in his life are very hard. Um, yeah. Like running late everywhere, 
um yeah because he just is like downtrodden upon and i that's why i connect to him i think um i don't know if i connect with him as much now in terms of the kind of life that i have i think parts of me do certainly as a kid i think i felt that way all the time like am i gonna have friends am i gonna get the girl um you know are people gonna respect my abilities am i understood at home i think even if you don't relate to all those things like I do, I think most people just relate to one or two of those things pretty well. I think that's what makes Peter uh, a pretty accessible character. And for me, like it feels very much like, um, you know, who I was when I was 14, for instance, feels very similar to who Peter is when he's supposed to be 16, 17 um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think there's, there's a good point to be had and at the, the being like the, school bus and the driver is a little cartoonish in the way the, the driver acts mm-hmm. but it portrays what it's supposed to portray and you're like you're right it's that idea of like peter's trying his best it's just he's always a half a tick behind he's always like two words short of being able to say something charming yes he is just short on everything he does which is exactly how a lot of kids feel in that age group like you yes. just you know you're not like you know you're not really annoying, but you just don't quite have it. You you know you're not a bad kid. You did your homework, but you just didn't quite finish it the way you wanted to. And this movie does a good job, like I said, setting it up. So I agree with what your assessment is there. I think um, it's a little cartoonish in the way that they bully him, at least from my experience. It's not quite how people really treat people, but... Most bullies in movies are unrealistic because they use physical yeah. violence instead of other things. Yeah. Yes. But I think it's, you know, it's much faster and more hitting yep. to do it the way they do it in movies. Uh, but we, we quickly get into, like you said, you immediately realize the MJ thing, which is going to be a big theme we'll talk about. If you immediately see how he falls short in that category. Um, but she does it in a way that, like, you don't think she's too cool for school to, like, like you want him to get her, not in, yes. like, a, oh, just because she's hot yep. um, sort of way. So. I think she's just out of reach. She's just out of reach. Right. It's like he could get her, but it's so hard. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's something yeah. about like being obtainable and not this perfect girl next door, uh, which we'll explore yes. a little bit later. But as we get into it, it doesn't take too long to get into the Spider-Man of it all. Um, the power setup. Do you, do you have an opinion on, you know, how he gets his power, how, like how it goes down? <clears throat> no, I mean, I do like the fact that it, is connected to other things. Most of the scenes in the movie have several things going on, right? So the scene where they go to essentially the lab, like shows you all these elements. It shows you like him flirting with MJ. It shows, um, you know, um, James Franco doing his deal with both the characters. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, and it gets you into his transition. I think quicker than most movies today would. Because they really, I think, want you then to feel how weird the transition is for him. Um, yeah, I like it. It's really like, oh, yeah, he got bit by a spider that got out. It's like pretty simple, straightforward. Uh, most of the plot points that happen in these movies are not, in hindsight, too overly complicated, um, which, I, which I think I appreciate. Um, yeah, it doesn't need like a million different things um, going on necessarily. So there's, really like there's something to be said about when a movie tries to overly explain why something makes sense because 
it never makes sense because that's why it's science fiction. So like trying to make yeah. it make sense can sometimes disconnect. And you're right. Sometimes it's just the simplest thing of like, right, spider and his DNA mixed with his, and that's it's great. Um, that's it. That's it. That's all you need to know. It's not like like a versus like um, if you ask me right now, my life depended on it. How did Vision get created? I'm like, okay, so then this happened and this happened. And there's like all these things, right? Now that's kind of on the other side of it. Not every character I think has that kind of an origin story, but um, yeah. There's something, yeah, there's something to the simplicity of it. Uh, I like, so this scene, I think more so than any Spider-Man, every Spider-Man sort of has the weird coming into my power scenes, all that kind of stuff. There's something charging to this sort of Rocky Balboa-esque training montage of him realizing he has powers and what to do with it. Um, all the different shenanigans that ensue in this first sort of yeah. act of the movie. Um, well, I think the thing that those movies did well is they show you like how much fun Spider-Man is to be in terms of like the power set. Right. I think people like kind of that from those movies. They felt like, um, you know, maybe his quippishness could have been more. But like the fun that he has as as Spider Man is evident in the comics and also is in these movies. The only other film I can think of that really seemed to show that pretty well is Shazam and maybe like uh, Fantastic Four and spots with like the Human Torch, right? The idea that like oh, getting superpowers like just that would be fun, <laughs> right? And I think the movie yeah does a great job of like this kid who couldn't cut it athletically and anything presumably who now all of a sudden can do things that no other human can do uh and is filmed in such a way that really puts you in the point of view of what that would maybe feel like um yeah it'd be awesome right and i think like superheroes to some extent are supposed to be that it's supposed to be the wish fulfillment of like hey it'd be sweet to put on a cape and like beat up people <laughs> be sick to like fly through the air with webs shooting out of you even if he has to make them right there's that whole controversy which at the time I was like, this is fine. I don't know. Actually, that's not as simple. It would have been simpler for him to just have the webs. Yeah. Um, but it shows you his, some of his intelligence, that he's smart. So there's there's an interesting setup to this movie that I really appreciate. That, I get to your point, doesn't always happen. I mean, there's some fun to be had in all superhero movies. But when he first gets his power, there's a good 15-minute chunk of the movie that is dedicated to, like, having these powers is the solution to these problems that were already set up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. It helps, it helps him look charming to MJ. It helps him get, you know, he's, he's more on time. He's more energetic. He's doing things. He's happy. Um, so it seems that the powers are the solution to his life's problems. It's how he can make money now. It's all that stuff. Um, but then it flips on the iconic scene of losing uncle Ben to where now he goes, Maybe these powers no. aren't the solution yes. to my life. Yes, it's now a curse. Um, and I think that's so true to life. Right? I'm trying to think of like how many good things in my life that have happened where I think like, oh, this is it, right? Like, oh, I made it into this college that I was hoping to get into. Oh, I, you know, got this date or have this friend group. Like, this is going to solve things. And like, there's maybe a little bit of truth to that. But in reality, I think a lot of the core identity struggles that we deal with, like for me, if something good happens to me, but I have a lot of 
feelings of struggle inside internally, they're gonna decrease those feelings all that much, right? Um, and yeah, and also he's a teenager, <laughs> so his brain's literally like changing every day anyway. And so yeah, I, I think that's that's a I, I I'm glad you brought brought that up. I think um, yeah, the idea that like oh this is gonna solve all my problems and then it totally doesn't. Um, I think it's very relatable. And realistically, that's how superpowers would work. Like if I all of a sudden could shoot icicles out of my hands, like that's awesome. But also like, what if I can't control it? And then how do I use it? And who do I hide it from? Like it would of course to be like stressful, you know? Um, yeah, it's pretty just like realistic. I think like, I think maybe it would ha wouldn't happen that way, but it's like, okay, yeah, I could, I could like see that. Um, and that's, I, that's why I like it. I think I love the, it's like they asked like, Hey, what would this actually be like for real? And then they just like filmed it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it, like you said, it becomes, it becomes a curse. It becomes, well, not, not a curse, but it becomes an issue. It becomes a responsibility uh, that he now has to take on. So in some ways it solves one problem and creates another, which I mean, is true of a lot of things, right? I think if a lot of shortcuts in life, um, solve one problem just to create another problem. And I think this movie wants to show that, okay, well, now you have this power. Now you have a responsibility. Um, the Ben scene is sad. And there's nothing really, I don't think that needs to be said about it unless it is the, it is well known. It is iconic. It is often duplicated um, to less success. And that's yeah. more about other movies than this movie. Yes. I, what I like about it is he doesn't earn his powers, right? Batman had to work right. to get what he has. There's a lot of superheroes that do earn their power sometimes. Peter doesn't. They're just given to him. It's a little more akin to winning the lottery, right? If, you, if I were to win the lottery, lots of things in my life would become easier. I would pay off all my loans, right? I would not have no car, which is my current situation. Um, but also, generally, if you win the lottery, uh, they've shown this study-wise, you're you're uh, you have to move for six months because people just hit you know, for money right and you get like massively depressed right like that's what would happen to most of us we win the lottery like yeah our lives are a lot easier we have more space oh crap now we have all these other problems and i think it's because he doesn't he doesn't earn it so the powers aren't necessarily associated with any growth he's had as a person you know yep i think and i think that's sort of what the movie wants you to get i think that's a good point and it the movie does do a decent job of showing that like Ultimately, it's his growth that helps him get MJ. It's his growth that helps him deal with the people in his school, including his friends. It's like it's his own growth that helps him become a better superhero, but also a better Peter. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not the powers that he gets. So I think that's something cool that resonates in the movie. I think it is shown well, um, but I think it's mostly shown best through uh, MJ. So let's take time to talk about, I think it's at its best in the first movie, his relationship with MJ. And like we said, it, we've already talked about her setup on the bus. You know, she turn, turns him down, but it's she's nice about it. His confidence when he gets the power and sort of shows off with the catching weird stuff scene. Um, and he sort of has mm -hmm. his powers. And it seems like it's going to be very easy for him to get her now that he has these powers. But it's not. But he has to end up. He ends up learning about her and things like that. Yes. So explore the relationship. Tell me what you think, what you like, um, and how how if you've had any similar experiences. In your... <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, 
So I think MK or MJ, wow, MJ's. I think the subtext is she's always had at least a little bit of an interest in him, but he just isn't able to put himself out there enough. You could make that interpretation. Not to say there's not other things that go into that, um, but I think the reality is he he gets more confidence when he gets these powers, and then he still doesn't make a move on the girl. So there's that scene after they've graduated where him and Harry are in the apartment, and Harry's like, "Hey man, like, oh yeah, I, I'm going out with MJ. Like you you didn't do anything," <laughs> and Peter's like, "Yeah, uh, that's okay. You're right. I didn't do anything." Like so that shows how his powers aren't really helping him all that much. Um, I find the idea of like a good friend of mine ended up with a girl beat me to the punch instead of me like this. I could have like a list of times in my life that's happened. Like it's like an over and over and over again story in my life. So I very much relate to that. Different reasons it's happened. Sometimes I think that's maybe the reason. Um, yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think that, uh, that scene I, in particular, I love because um, it, it's a, a pretty like human thing. Um, and I think what's interesting about all three of those characters in this love triangle that essentially lasts all three movies is that they're all outsiders, essentially. You've got Harry, who like doesn't look like an outsider, but he doesn't have other friends. He's got tons of home issues. You've got MJ, who really doesn't seem like an outsider, but really doesn't have any friends. We don't see her. We see her maybe with one other friend who's a girl. Like her two friends about these movies really end up being Harry and Peter. Her home life's awful, right? You could argue in some ways Peter's life is better than these two other friends. Um, and I I think when I watched the film, I think um, she just wants him to be able to love her well. And I think he does this thing that I think a lot of us do. I do sometimes where if you put this person up on a pedestal and you're just pining after them all the time, and you don't have the confidence to approach them. It's the assumption that like they're better than you and you're not worthy. Um, that actually increases the lack of interest <laughs> because then you're not able to like actually care for them as a person. If you just think they're awesome and that's kind of it, well, what do you have to give them? Uh, and I think over time he learns that he does he does have things to offer her that she's not unobtainable. Um, for me, I see a lot of that as their connection of like they've both had like pretty rough lives, like blue collar, same neighborhood right um, people don't really get them and they connect over that i think they both in their own ways have to come to understand that over time that like oh even though she's like the cute attractive girl who wants to like sing and act and he's like the nerdy guy with no friends that they actually have more common than they think they have to work through some of those really real human stuff in the midst of all the like spider-man drama um as well i think those three characters them two and harry that's the heart of the movies for them is um, yeah, they haven't had great connections with people and they have to really learn how to have the connection with somebody else while being like humble in human interactions and learn how to communicate. Um, you could probably do a whole book on MJ and Peter learning how to communicate well um, during during these movies. Because Peter in particular is really bad. He hasn't had to do it. He hasn't had to be in relationships where he has to talk about how he feels or what his wants are or needs are or fears are very much. He learns how to do that. Um, which as a high schooler is, like also pretty realistic as a senior in high school you, you don't you're not as good at that as you are later in life it's certainly not my favorite aspect of the movies i think it's i think it's an interesting dynamic i think you bring up interesting points about what the struggle is sometimes it just comes off poorly because it's it's framed as 
they can't communicate because of his Spider-Man issues, which I get. You're trying to like create that duality, but it 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 makes it frustrating if you want the relationship to work out that they can't just yeah um, grow. It's so it takes so long. It takes so long. It's pretty, it's pretty soapy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think realistic to some relationships, though, I think when you have two people that are maybe meant to be together, but they have things that get in the way. I have at least four or five different friends I'm thinking of right now where I think that journey took a while. It does. Yeah, it certainly can. Um, but I don't have to watch it over the course of three movies all the time. So. Uh, fair. Fair. That's my... <laughs> yeah, okay. so Spider-Man's a soap opera. That's what it is. Even yeah, then, you can argue the new ones are, too, in more fun ways. Interesting. Okay, uh, so let's move on to I think Tiffer's favorite part of this movie, which would be uh, William Defoe's yes, beautiful, of course. beautiful Green Goblin, and of course, sort of the plot of the movie revolves around the villain, what the villain's doing, and, and Peter's Peter's growth is one thing, separate from the actual like plot. I guess sometimes it's hard to explain to people who don't really understand the difference of like the character growth isn't always the plot. It is the character growth. The plot is what is moving things along. And that is definitely what Green Goblin is doing. It affects everything. And obviously it starts to collide with Peter's world in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, it's a lot of people's favorite. I mean, Doc mm-hmm. Ock also is very highly related. But yes, how do we feel about this storyline? Is there anything, any notes you want to highlight? Yeah. I mean, I don't. in hindsight, I don't know if I love the storyline of Green Goblin. Like, there's times in the movie where I was literally like, I've seen this movie a bunch... And I can't remember what he's doing, um, which is 100% not the point of his plotline, though, right? Like, Batman films often have a lot of enemies that have really intricate plots for how they're going to take over Gotham. Um, whereas Green Goblin, like, part of his deal is he's a little Joker-esque and that he's just, like, unhinged. Um, and, like, unlike maybe some other villains, like, it literally is a guy who's, like, a pretty good dude. He's not the best dad. Okay pushes himself too far in science and then just like goes nuts. Right. And essentially like his animal instincts take over, um, which I think is an interesting counterpoint to Peter. I think what makes the green goblin stuff so fun. And I think you have to view it through the lens of like the two thousands. Right. Cause I think if you can, you know, if you compare him to like a killmonger, right. It's like comparing apples and oranges. He's like, not that type of villain. Um, at times he's very cheesy. This whole the whole three of these movies are very cheesy at times. Um, I think there's a few things that they nail with Green Goblin. One, he just looks cool. It's important. Like if CGI is a cosmetic issue, I think like characters looking cool is maybe not as much of one. Like if all your characters look lame, like at some point you really do notice that because they're just on screen so much, um, and costumes aren't as hard to fix as CGI. He looks cool. Um, the action's like pretty good. It's like pretty intense. I think you feel the weight of Peter is just this guy who really doesn't know what he's doing, going up against a dude who is insane. You know, he's gassing people. Um, and then you mix that in with the drama of Peter versus Spider Man, right? So every Spider Man villain usually has some kind of connection to Peter. I think it times now that feels tired it doesn't in that movie because we hadn't seen it on the big screen before so like you know him fighting against the um you know his best friend's dad i think in particular though what i forgot is that not only does green goblin work great in the action scenes when he shows up in his suit which are just cool 
the scenes where, for instance, Peter has to hide when they all have the, I think it's the birthday party and he's yeah. up above the ceiling and the blood drips down, I think are just as intense as any of the other scenes in this movie. I think you really feel the weight of not only Green Goblin's plotline, he's trying to do all these evil things and kill people. You also feel the weight of like, how is Peter going to handle this? How is he going to handle, this is affecting his relationships with MJ, with Harry, right? You've got a lot of these scenes, all these movies where all these character interactions come together and Peter's having to deal with high emotional stakes as he's having to deal with, like he's dealing with things that are normal and ordinary, that are hard for everybody. And he's having to then also deal with things that most of us will never have to deal with at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I think those scenes really work. William Defoe works great in the suit and he works great outside of the suit. Yeah, I, I want to add two things. Number one, the costume itself. I think there's some people like today want to like look back at it and be like, all oh, right, it looks like a Power Ranger. It's much better to see William Defoe's face. I hate that mindset personally. Yeah. Like I'm all for like, no, stay in the Mando helmet. Like yes. I hated in the new black Adam. I don't know if you've seen the, the yep, one someone's one, boring. I, I hated that Sentry kept taking his helmet off. Like he looks cooler with it on. Leave it yep. on. Like yep. so he looked cool. I think it's so there's tons of scenes where the actor doesn't have it on. Right. Yeah. So um whatever. Um so I, I just want to tangent that for a second. But to to give Wait to your point here. I think it's important for people to realize a lot of times when movies do things, they have this tendency to create the bigger the stakes, like the actual more people who are affected by the stakes, they think that will connect more to the audience. And what you're saying happens in this movie, and I think it's true. It's not the fact that like if Green Goblin catches him, he will get murdered by Green Goblin. Green Goblin's not in his suit. He's not like whatever. Like Spider-Man yeah. is not in danger. It is the danger of losing his friendship. It's yes. the danger of losing MJ. And those are like small things. But we, the audience, care so much more yes. than if it was the danger of 700 random people in New York dying. Yes. I have a theory I just thought of. We talk about street-level heroes. I've never seen somebody define that. But I feel like street-level heroes are not saving the world as much. They're saving cities. Maybe blocks. Maybe individuals, right? Spider-Man, Daredevil, even Batman, if he's not with the Justice League, are more often street heroes, right? You think about Superman has to save the world from Lex Luthor. Batman, usually in his movies, is saving Gotham, right? Um, some comics, Batman's just hunting down a killer. It's like a detective story. All three of those characters also work because of the duality between their two halves, right? And I think... To feel the weight of smaller stories, you have to put more personal pressure on them. And yes, that is why Peter Parker works. Um, you care so much about his relationships. Um, whereas like Falcon from Marvel, you don't really care as much about his relationships till he's been in like four or five movies, right? And he's just, you know, and then you look at his backstory. Um, whereas I think, um, yeah, the Spider-Man movies... You know, the bad guy's going to kill some people. He's not going to destroy the whole world or the universe or a timeline or, or a whole reality. Um, and yet, I think, when I watch them, I almost care more. One, because I can connect to Peter as an individual. But I think the fact that he is afraid of losing his relationships is a pretty... For me, like, a lot of my worries in life are about what if I lose this friendship or this goes south with a family member or at work, things get dramatic and somebody quits and that's the end of it and we were together for a long time 
um, are, are inherently, I think, easier to relate to than the stress of the world ending because um, we just, we don't have to deal with that on a daily basis. Like, yes, there are crises in the world that might feel that way. Um, I don't have any control over them for the most part, you know? Um, yep. Yeah, very human struggle. Um, it's why I think Peter spends so much of the time in these movies not in the suit. I'm actually surprised when I went back. There's only a handful of fight scenes in each of these movies, typically. Um, because yeah. it really is about Peter. It's not really about Spider-Man, it's just about Peter. Interestingly enough, he's in, even though three has like a large chunk of the movie where he like loses his powers, it's actually like when he's in the suit the most, ironically, which is funny to think about. Um, okay, so Spider-Man 1, let's wrap it up. Let's put a bow on it. Um, I yeah. think I think we just hit on what is the main reason that Spider-Man 1 works um, because you feel it. You feel it at the end when Goblin dies. You like you feel that it's not just about like, I have to stop Goblin to save the world. Like that's not what Goblin's not like risking the world at, at any point. You know what I mean? He's never, no. you never have this feeling he's about to kill anyone other than the people who wronged him. Except that he's like a little bit crazy. But what you do feel is like, I, if I lose this fight, like I lose my friends, I lose MJ. Um, But he's balancing that against the fact that he knows who it is and that weight. So I think the ending shows that and it gets real physical and real gritty which i think is the last kind of point i want i want to hear you yes. hit on yes it's how um, gritty this movie feels yes it is cheesy and cartoonish until you get to peter spitting up blood um, and then all of a sudden it's not anymore uh, and i think the the higher the stakes get for him emotionally typically the grittier these movies get these movies do not shy away from blood they're not r-rated at all um but they are, you could mistake them, I think, very easily for BG movies until you get to some of the harder hitting fight scenes later on. I think the one at the end of the first film is particularly pretty gritty. It's not in a cool location. It's just like in some building. A lot of these fight scenes are not in like cool spots. It's like they're just beating each other up somewhere, right? Like the location doesn't matter. The fact that, you know, it's two characters hurting each other who know each other personally. They want you to feel the weight of that. They want you to feel the weight of like, his relationship with his best friend's dad is over. His relationship with his best friend is now complicated. Other relationships in his life are going to be complicated. And then you feel that with him getting punched, him getting stabbed. Um, yeah, and it really does feel like in in that fight scene, like Peter comes very close to losing. You're right. I think lots of superhero mm -hmm. movies try to do that. Um, they really do a good job, though, with Peter of like, yeah, he's just getting the crack kicked out of him. Um Oh, I yeah. for sure. I think it's top ten. Like we like. Oh, he's about to lose that civil war. You have no idea who's going to win between Iron Man and Cap. Yep. <laughs> That's why that scene yep. is so good. It's it's civil war. It feels similar to this. It's it's lower stakes. It's bloodier. You feel the stuff more. I, it's actually an apt comparison. I think civil war is more similar to these movies than most other Marvel films now probably are. No, it's, it's That's why it's the best one. Um, all right, <clears throat> let's uh. Let's continue on. Neither of us are New Yorkers, so the whole, like, oh, New York helps him beat Green Goblin scene, I, I get that. Some people love it. I don't care. Which is, like, I get that it's a good scene, but that's not what the series is about, because we didn't yep. grow up in cities like that. So, cool, though. Yep. Good job, New York. I, I wanna, um, I'll end with this thought. There's a, there's a line that he gives that I love. I think I got this right. Feel free to yell at me afterwards. With great right. power comes great responsibility. No, no, no. <laughs> um, 
he uh he says to mj that he can to her he can be only a friend that's all i have to give um i think i literally wrote down some notes i took notes on these uh i i said that's why i've been single so much of my life um i sometimes only have the energy to be a friend that's like a real thing and it, it like sums up his struggle by the end of the first film like he he doesn't really have the energy for relationships. That's going to launch us into movie two. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a good, that is a good transition scene. And it's, it, it feels frustrating as the audience member. Cause you're like, yeah, but just prioritize it. Make the time. Cause we want it to work mm-hmm. out. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just not how life works all the time. So we're going to get into the second movie. Uh, before we get into it, I'm just curious. Uh, are you with the, the general mass? This is the definitive Spider-Man. And this is like peak spider-man movies here it's two of the um, best i so i think as a film if you were to watch these movies individually with a long gap between each one i think the first movie is a better film in some ways i yeah, i agree i think if you're going emotional stakes action humor the second film is a better film um i actually watched the second one twice in the last half year i watched it just on its own this last fall, some friends watched it. I was with them. We were hanging out. They're like, let's put it on. And I was like, man, I don't remember this being as good as it was. Then I watched one, two, and three back to back. When I did that, I loved the second movie because I feel like you kind of mentioned this a little bit. I think um, the second film, so much of it hinges on you buying him and MJ's relationship, but they spend so much of the time just being stupid and fighting with each other that you have to have their interactions in the first film in mind for, I think, that dynamic to really work. So, like, when I saw it in theaters, I probably watched the first film the week beforehand and watched the second one. Um, so I think for me, and part of that's the nature of it's a continuing story, um, I don't really have any qualms with the film. Um, I just think that you have to buy into the relationship, what happens in the first film, and have that in mind to really enjoy the second one and to, to be like, they should be together, um, cause otherwise they just seem like two people that just like miss each other the whole movie. Right. And are making like yeah. stupid dramatic decisions. Um, so I think that for me is a, is the biggest difference. I don't really have hardly any issues with either the first or second film. I think they're both top 10 superhero films. Um, yeah, I think Spider-Man you know, was just that good. I really, uh, you know, if you were to compare action scenes from the two films, villains, which one's better Green Goblin, Doc Ock. I don't care. They're both great. Right. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the only maybe criticism I have of the second film is the villain sometimes does feel similar to the first movie. Have like scientists he's got a personal relationship with, doesn't experiment, pushes himself too far, goes nuts, right? The ending is different. The ending of that arc is different. Uh, I think that's probably my only issue is like, you're like, oh, you just, you like just did this. Um, other than that, I think two is a fantastic film. I connect with two more than the first film. Um, I think um, the lifelong struggle of feeling like I don't have the energy or the space for my responsibilities or the people around me, um, I think probably was the main struggle I had all throughout my 20s. Um, I think lots of us in life feel that way. I talk to friends of mine when they have kids, right? Where they're just like, yep, I can clean my house and be a functioning human or I can take care of my child, right? I think of... Um, you know, I just had my father taking care of both of his parents who were sick. Right. And like, to some extent he had to prioritize them and other parts of his life fell apart. 
right? I think you lose a car, you know, you're in a natural disaster, something financially hard happens. You've got a family member who's an addict. You even have like a close knit friend group that like breaks up or you go through a romantic breakup. I think um, those are all tensions we feel. I think I, um, I connected this movie even more than just that though. Uh, so I spent nine years doing ministry. I often prioritize that over a lot of my other relationships. Um, and thankfully a lot of my relationships and ministry overlapped, but I've been a lot of jobs where I've lived at work. I've been a lot of jobs where I've had to pour into others in ways I didn't have the energy for. And I think for me, between that and the responsibility part of my brain that tells me I always have to be doing all of the things. That's my own thing. Nobody told me I had to be that way. Um, yeah, I just connect a lot to Peter's journey of like, he wants to have all the things in life and he just can't figure out how to do it at all. Um, I think that's what this movie hinges on. And it's why I like it more, even if it's maybe not quite as good of a movie. So if you guys are, are trying to, if you're listening to Ron, you're, you're kind of thinking like, how does that connect? Think about, think about the opening. Think about the the delivering pizza. Think about like the movie does a really good job of setting this dynamic up. Again, it's this idea that I have the powers. It, it it should solve things, but he's got just one too many things going on. He can't get to MJ to do what he wants, to have the conversation he wants, to support her the way he wants, because he's trying to deliver this pizza so he can get the money. But he's also, like Ron says, he's prioritizing being Spider Man throughout the movie. This like constant struggle of like, well, I have to be Spider-Man. I have this responsibility. That's sort of the core element of one. And the dynamic of like how much that can weigh down the rest of your life. It's so hard to prioritize um, everything else. Not to get on like a, a tangent, but we just talked about this. I think in my church group, we just talked about this idea of like, you know, if you prioritize God, everything else works together. But in this movie, that's not the point. The point is there's only so much you can prioritize in life and it seems like being spider-man and saving people's lives is the right answer but that doesn't make it any easier yeah when your relationship with the girl you really want to be with is falling apart it doesn't yes. like you you really need to stop doc ock it's very important but like it is really just boning yep. spider-man like yes. boning peter's ability to live life yes um it's, it's boning him with MJ. It is wrecking his relationship with his best friend, right? Like all of their issues stem out of like Green Goblin's death. It hurts his relationship with Aunt May. He cannot talk to her, uh, process Ben's death, I think in the way that he wants to, because for him, it connects to him being Spider-Man. He finds a way to do it eventually, to have that conversation with her without mentioning yep. Spider-Man. But, um, you know, it affects his school, his work, Right, he's just general energy levels every year of his life. And the, I love that you brought this up. The bike scene like sets those all up pretty quick, right? And it and it impacts the way people see him, right? The city loves Spider-Man for the most part. Joe 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 Jane Jane ah man, Jonah Jameson yep. Jameson uh doesn't, but the city on average does. Um, but people in his own life think he's withdrawn. Think that he's inside his head. Think that he's lazy is a word that mm -hmm. gets used to describe him. Um, he is not lazy, right? People right. think he is. <laughs> I know I've had times in my life people have been like, Ron, are you lazy? You didn't do this thing. And it's like, oh, well, if you actually knew all these other things that I was doing, 
he'd be like, actually, Ron's running around. I'm not just sitting around watching TV all day. Um, I think in turn, maybe he wants to be Spider-Man even more because like, oh, at least when I'm Spider-Man, people like me. They never say that in the movie necessarily. Um, they actually get into that more, I think, in the third film. But I think that subtext is there of like, wow, Spider-Man's destroying his life, but his life as Spider-Man is better, right? And that almost like exacerbates this divide even more. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when he goes to watch MJ and um, uh, is Bruce Campbell. He's got a cameo role in each film. It's great. And in this one, he's just a total jerk and tells him repeatedly like, hey, um, you know, like tie your shoe. Let me see the ticket. Oh, the show started, by the way. And you, you told me why is such a good actor. You see all of the pain on his face of like the only thing, the main thing he's wanted in life since he was like six is to date MJ. <laughs> it's been like 14 years or whatever it's been. Um, and now relationally he could get this other thing just keeps getting in the way um yeah and then you have this iconic moment where he, he throws the suit away and then the the movie does a flip they show another montage of all the things in his life going super well he's got all the things that he wants it's great but then he realizes doc ock is still out there hurting people and he doesn't know what to do with that tension right there does not seem at least in the first half of the film to be a correct answer um to that question. And I think the movie sells all that super, super well. They're really good with the small moments to make you buy it. So like, I think it's, um, uh, Asip Mambi plays his boss at the pizza place, like nails that role, right? You've got all these different small people. You've got the landlord, right? Who's <laughs> like him and his daughter that Peter kind of flirts with. That's a little weird. Um, you've all these really small minor character roles of people that are in his life that support the story. Well, that can show you when it's going poorly, when it's going well, um and really show yeah. you the way that peter cares about relationships and i think it partially works because all those small minor one two scene roles the actors crush it um yeah yep i think it's i think it's important especially important to remember this movie is made for young adults and i think as young adults we all inherently want to do the right thing we want to be in the right relationships we want to contribute to society by going to work and having stability and all these things. Um, but this movie really, like you said, it hammers home how difficult it is to be the good person, to do the right thing, but to also make time for relationships, but also to make mm -hmm. time for work. Like it's it's hard to do, and it's even hard to do when you're Spider-Man. Yes. Um, and shows. I think it shows college life really well. I think there's the joke, when I went to college at least, your experience might have been different. Okay, you got friends, you got school, you got sleep. What's the one you're going to just totally ignore this week? Right? Are you going to hang out with friends and get a lot of sleep and be rested and just blow off all your papers? Are you going to, you know, just not see your friends and you just write papers and sleep and get rest? Are you going to, like, crush the social life, crush the academic life, but you're getting four hours of sleep a night? Um, yep. uh, yeah, I, I think, and that that's not even wanting to be a good person. That's just, like, if you want to do the things society says you should do. You function, yeah. As a college student, you... You, you can't do it all, right? I think we, we talk about college as like, oh, you get to have it all. And I think Peter feels that in this movie. He feels the like, oh, like I'm becoming an adult. I'm going to get a job and make money. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to hopefully have a girl. All these things you're supposed to do when you get older. Um, and he, and he, he can't succeed at any of them. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. Life is hard. 
Um, and life is especially hard when you have extra things added on top. His extra thing is Spider-Man. Um, and um, yeah, and you know, yeah, he, yep. he doesn't have any, no stability. He's really, this movie is about what does life look like when you don't have stability? Who do you decide to be as a person when nothing in your life seems stable? Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Let's uh let's talk Doc Ock. I don't want to breeze by it because it is a lot of people's favorite um villain, really. And and yeah, and all across most media. I kind of lean a little bit toward towards the Green Goblin angle, but I appreciate what happens. I like his setup. I like his stupid joke about the rubber band in the, the wad of twenties. I think that's love a funny it. it's cheesy science kind of I have friends that have that type of humor sometimes. Uh, love I love it. it. I, I love that so much. I like who he is before. Like who he is before you're like I this is this is the guy this is like the dude that deserves good things. Mm-hmm. You could tell he's like he treats people right. You know he's a good dude. So it makes it that much more tragic when the the arms take over. And like you said, it is a little annoying that it's repetitive, um, but it's done well. I think it's it's a masterclass from Sam Raimi and, and just exactly how brilliant he is as a director to show that scene. I think people reference this all the time. That scene in the the office where the the tentacles sort of kill all those those doctors is is important to set the stakes that like hey, these these arms are gonna do evil things regardless yes. of what um you know Doctor Octavius wants. Like it, yes, if the first film is is a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde story, um, with Green Goblin, the second one is really like more of a monster movie where the tentacles are the monster. Um, a and parasitic you, monster using a good person. Yes. Yes. And if you watch, and if you watch multiverse <coughs> of madness, you see that like Sam Raimi, Oh, used to do horror films. Right. And I think in that scene in Spider-Man two, it's probably the darkest scene in this movie or the grittiest scene, I should say. I mean, they just let a bunch of people that you don't really care about, but you like assume they're good. Just get yeah. brutally slaughtered by a machine essentially. Um, and in the process, Doc Ock loses who he is as a person, this awesome guy. Yeah. He just totally loses it. Um, it gives weight to his arc. I think it also then makes Doc Ock seem so dangerous later on in the film. I think he, he probably is a more threatening villain than Green Goblin. Green Goblin just kind of runs around and is doing whatever and he's throwing things and he's on a glider, but like Doc Ock's tentacles in that movie, in that scene, you're like, Oh crap, how's Peter going to beat him? Um, and the answer is he doesn't really, you know, like it's hard. Like every battle he has yeah. with him from then on is a, is a pretty tough challenge. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons people like this movie sometimes more than the second film, because there's three distinct sections of this movie. You have the first section where his life's falling apart. You've got, yay, Peter's happy. You've got this danger in the, in the distance. And then you have the third part of the movie, you know, you've got the great scene. I think this is one of my favorite scenes in a superhero movie where Peter is talking to MJ in the coffee shop. There may be, you know, you're like, what's going to happen? You know, he's gone back and forth in his mind. She's decided maybe she doesn't want to be with stupid What's-His-Face, who, by the way, that role is pretty boring. I think they could have done a better yeah, job with her boyfriend. You're like, why is she with this guy? Anyway, um, and then Doc Ock throws the car through the freaking window. It's a great use of, of, of his spidey sense, um, I think. These movies do a pretty good job of showing you what his spidey sense helps him to do. He has that extra little bit of reaction time. Mm -hmm. Sam Raimi uses slow motion very well. Um, I think it's straight from there you go into the train scene, um, which 
uh, is a great action scene. People forget about the part on top where they fight. It's a great action scene. Then um, at the end of it, you have the scene, right? You've got Peter, the Jesus imagery. Um, as a college student, even when I watched it recently, like it is a pretty emotional scene. Maybe there's more emotional scenes in movies, uh, superhero movies, but like uh, it, the whole thing's well done. Um, Tobey Maguire's acting's well done. You know, his suit's destroyed. Um, I think for a lot of people, that scene is what makes this one of their top superhero movies. Um, and it's it's pretty good. Yeah, I think, I mean, let, let's start with what I love, like you said, I love about it. The fight is great. The way he fights through the train and Doc Ock is throwing people around using his his tentacles. And again, it's his idea of like, Spider-Man's losing this fight. Like, he cannot beat Doc. Yeah. He yep. can't do it. Like, no matter what he tries, he can't do it. Which is like a little logical. It's like, why can't, why is it when he punches Doc Ock's regular human face, he doesn't knock him out? I don't know. I don't care. Um, but it, he's losing this fight. He's going, he can't beat him. The train is getting away from him. It just, it's an L. He's going to lose this. And it takes every bit of him to stop the train. It's very cool. It's very emotional. It's awesome. Well, I will say about the car throwing scene that always bugs me. It's something I, I didn't notice like the third or fourth time. If you remember the setup to that scene, it's Doc going, oh, I need to find this kid, Peter Parker, who like he knows, but he has no idea that Peter is Spider-Man at all. Mm-hmm. But he throws this car at him. Like, which would presumably kill him. Yes. Which like would kill yes. him. Like yes. you yes. just killed your best lead. I don't understand what your thought it process is. It seems more Green Goblin-ish. Green Goblin seems <laughs> to be the character that would just do something crazy in a hand and be like, oops. Whereas Doc yeah, but... still seems to have his brain about him. Yes, that's a minor quibble. Uh, it's whatever. It just is, it's, it makes me laugh every time the I think plotting, about it. The plotting of how to get to that moment, they don't entirely nail. But the emotional um, point of like, yes. it's a good scene with him and MJ and then he loses it, is good. So you, yeah. you need the scene, like you said, it could have been set up in a more logical way. Yes. Um, cool. I think the the ending of the film is is interesting. I sort of forget what happens with him and MJ as this movie winds down. I sort of so, lose track of. Yeah. It. So I love the end of this movie. Um, you know, I think um, really don't get first, don't get into Doc Ox ending yet. Get into like him and his where his relationship ends off. Sure. Yeah. And then we'll talk the, about those- Doc. With those other characters, yeah. Um, I think one and two really are a solid arc if you watch them back to back. Um, I mean, the, all three movies really are. But if <coughs> if if you have this Harry Peter conflict that is partially personal, but also then adds in a lot of other things, right? That really comes to a head at the end of this film when you've got the great scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie too, where you know Spider Man has been captured. Harry's got the knife out. He goes to take off the, it's not a helmet, the sheath he has on his head. Yeah. Um, and then realizes it's Peter. They Actors nail that scene, right? They're oh, like he shared, does. Oh. Franco they're shared, they're shared love of it. And as much as, as much as Jane Franco maybe isn't a great guy in real life, he's a good actor. Um, that scene of them bonding over their shared love of MJ is so good. And they've built that up over these two movies. That scene's amazing. Um, I love it. And then at the end, when Harry discovers his dad's lair, um, yeah, you really, once again, you really feel the emotional weight of the relationships with these characters. It's almost, I care about those scenes more than like 
is he going to stop Doc Ock? Because you know in the movie he's going to stop Doc Ock. You don't know when you're watching it the first time what's going to happen with him relationally. You're not sure. Um, MJ, the movie ends with, um, you know, Peter said he can't be with her anymore. He changed his mind. He said he was in love with her, and then he said he's, he's not. It's Those scenes are cheesy, but Tobey Maguire sells cheesy well. You feel like he's he's being legit. Um, and the end of the movie, she realizes she does love him. She wants to be with him, even though he said that he doesn't want to be with her. She runs out of che- cheesily, but it works. Sam Raimi does the visuals well. She runs out of the wedding um, ceremony wearing the dress. You've got that great scene where Jameson says, cancel the caviar, <laughs> right? He's great in this whole movie. We haven't talked about him at all. He's funny in this movie. He's slightly emotional, right? There's a point where he misses Spider-Man. Um, you know, you've got a little bit of humor there. She runs out. She goes to find Peter. Um, and then they have this conversation. Here's, I think, what he learns in this movie. They don't ever beat you over the head with this idea. The way that he resolves his tension between the two halves of his life, at least with MJ, is by letting her in to that struggle, yep. right? And I think... From my life, I know others, this is definitely the case too. When we have a big responsibility that seems to get in the way of the relationships, the answer oftentimes is to let people in to that struggle, right? Of like, man, I'm struggling right now. I care about you. I don't know if I can do this, but like, let me communicate that struggle to you, right? He obviously has reasons he doesn't want to do that for her own safety. Um, but, but to, to some extent, to the movie's point, and for you, us, the audience, we always think we have a reason to not yes. communicate it. Yes. And for him, <coughs> this is one of the ways he gives up responsibility, right? He decides I'm going to keep being a responsible Spider-Man. I'm not going to change that, but he decides I'm actually going to relinquish some of the relationship for these, my responsibility for these other relationships. I'm going to let other people pick up that slack by letting them into what the struggle is, you know, right? It's like, yep. Oh, MJ, I don't like computer for you. Here's why. Then she can make her decision. And that's part of Peter's way of realizing, you know, he doesn't have to keep every part of his life secure all the time. His life's already messy. So just acknowledge it. And that's what he does with MJ. I think it ends with them. Uh, yeah, it ends with them. Her saying, go get him, Tiger, right? She recognizes he's he's Spider-Man, um, which sets up the third movie really well. Um, I really yeah, wish. That's how the movie ends. And it, that's how the movie ends. And it, it that's a great endpoint to the first two movies in terms of those characters arcs things are the best with mj at the end of movie two they're the worst with harry at the end of movie two um yeah uh i think doc's ending is whatever i mean like you said it's it's interesting it's nice little bit of redemption i think that's why like i think as an audience member some people think that that's why they love this movie but to your point it's these deeper ideas that you don't really realize why because i think the, the doc ock stuff is good it's interesting it's yeah. like what you most notice for the plot but it's pretty it's pretty typical stuff you yeah know, hey it's good um it it is significant character wise i think when doc ock realizes that spider-man is peter it's the first time i think in these two movies that he thinks somebody's really seen him for who he is the only other person who's known so far that he's spider-man was green goblin who says don't tell harry and then he dies right doesn't seem to have the redemption I think Doc Ock seeing Peter like, oh, you're not lazy. I see. This is why you're tired all the time. Then his redemptive moment is the first time I think Peter probably really feels seen. I think that then helps him 
care that over Hinder's relationship with MJ. Like, oh, I can, people can know I'm both. The world's not going to end if these lives get to each other a little bit more. Um, so I think it's, it's, I think it's important that that scene ends that way. Um, I think that action scene is maybe the least interesting action scene in the whole movie. Um, it's visually but it cool. Works from it a, takes out it's time. visually cool. And it works from a Peter MJ standpoint, right? Because that's when she realizes who he is as well in that scene. But then they don't really figure out what that means to them romantically till later. Um, he gets to save her yet again. This time he gets to save her as Peter. Um, so I think, yeah, this movie has a lot of big moments character-wise that it, I think it earns well. I think that's why people love it so much. And you don't get that as much in the first film. The first film still is building to some of these moments that pay off in this film. Uh, this is just my hot uh, hot take, whatever you want to call it. I don't, And obviously it's not a hot take to say that Spider-Man 3 is not as well loved. Most people don't like it. I have always thought if it would have just ended at 2, I would have been like, perfect. I think that was, like you said, it doesn't fully do the whole, like, you know, his relationship, um, you know, Look, all of them, but like the way it ends with MJ, to me, that's the relationship I cared more about as a kid. And, you know, still to this day, I don't really care about his relationship with Harry. So to me, I always thought it just ended it too. Like in my head, yeah. three never happens. It really, yeah. like, in, like in my I canon. Think I, would, I would have agreed with you before watching the third film again recently. Um, and I have a much greater appreciation for the third film after watching right. it when I'm older than I did as a kid. I think the third film... I still hate it. I've watched it recently. Um, I think let's just talk about what's bad about it, and then I can talk about why I do like it still. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a mess. Sam Raimi has talked about how they forced Venom into the movie. The villains were originally going to be New Goblin and Sandman. Sandman is the main villain. New Goblin, you have the up and down kind of soap opery. They fight together at the end of the movie. Okay? The inclusion of Venom... I don't think Tober Grace is terrible. He's kind of just there. He is a counterpoint to Peter... It is a lot going on. There's a lot of parts going terrible. on. You've got it, here, the, here he's. It's yeah. terrible. Am I gonna? First of all, I don't think Tover Grace is good in this movie. I don't think he's a terrible actor, but I don't think he acts good in this movie at all. There's just not think... a role there. There's not. It's not a character. It's a. It's a. It's a. It, it, you know, he's got slightly more three dimensionality than MJ's uh, fiance did in the second film. Is the biggest issue. They just don't give the character the time you need to develop him. It's he's, only in like, he's in like six scenes. He's not in the movie much, really. Is what I I was like watching. It, I'm like, oh, he's barely in this movie. Well, but he's yeah. like the headline villain on the poster, <laughs> right? The villain everyone wanted to see. People are way more excited about Venom than Sandman. Right? I really think. I really think. In retrospect, you could have just had. You could have still done the black suit without ever having somebody else be Venom. I think you could have had the symbiote oh, come in. Hundred percent. Have that tension. Come in, you set it up for movie four. Fans know who Venom is. Right, that's what you could have done. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think. Um, I mean, the Venom stuff is is weird. But I yeah, don't think just... all the symbiote stuff is bad. I don't think no, it's correct. good. Yes. yes, but the Venom stuff is bad. The Venom stuff is. I don't even hate the action scenes against him. I think that character, what Eddie Brock, I think it still is Eddie Brock. He's in a scene at the beginning where they introduce him. He's taking pictures. He tells. Um, what is it jameson he's dating his daughter or whoever it was yeah you know when he's not really um and then yeah he's in a few scenes in the newspaper room those are yeah they're kind of lame you don't only really see you don't only really see why he's the way that he is right i think all these movies green goblin and doc Ock go crazy 
Sandman made a bad decision and it haunts him. Harry doesn't know what to do about his father's life. <coughs> right? None of them are totally evil. Eddie Brock just sucks. Right? Which does not fit with yeah. these movies. Right? These it's... movies show you somebody becoming a monster and he's just always mm-hmm. a jerk. He has no redemptive qualities. He's he's a he's a two-dimensional character. And he's in literally an intro scene. He's literally in a few scenes where he does some journalistic things. You know, he finds the suit later and then he like fights Peter. He's not in this movie very much. Um, and yet they treat him a little bit like he's the headline villain. I think if you have two villains in a movie or three, you need to be able to identify at the end of the movie who's the main bad First guy. First off, you should never have to. I can't think of a single ex- time that I thought the newest three Spider-Man. different villains. No, the newest the, there's only all established. One, but there's only one villain. There's only one person actually being villainous. Yes, Green Goblin's the actual <laughs> villain. Yep. The, the others um, are like people who were villains, but they don't act uh, like antagonists. Batman Returns has three villains. You've got uh, a human guy played by Christopher Walken. He's a villain. He's in the movie a ton. Catwoman Penguin. When you think of that movie, you think of Penguin. You're like, oh, Penguin's the main villain. You think of Penguin, you leave the theater. Right. Yeah, I guess. If you have a lot of villains, right? The new Batman movies have a lot of villains, right? But you know at the end of each movie who the main bad guy is. The first film, you're like, it's Ra's al Ghul. It's Liam Neeson. It's not the gangsters, right? It's not Scarecrow. The Dark Knight, you're like, okay, you got more gangsters. You got Two Face. You got Scarecrow. You got Joker. Who's the main villain? It's Joker, right? The third film, I think one of the issues with The Dark Knight Rises is you get done and you're like, wait, was the main villain Talia al Ghul or was it Bane? That's always a problem. When you cannot identify who the main antagonist is, things get wonky. All right. So let's let's keep yes. that, that train of thought thing because I think universally it's accepted that Ant, that Sandman is interesting, cool setup, makes sense. Yes. I think yes. most people think New Goblin sucks. I, I'm on that camp. Um, I have a feeling you're not. I, I disagree. He's not he's not as good as other villains. Um, I think this movie gets bogged down when it does things that are repetitive, right? So I think um, some of his scenes with MJ and Harry feel repetitive. You've got Harry becoming the villain twice because he gets amnesia in the middle of the movie. That feels That's repetitive. Right. That's so bad. Repetitive. That's so they bad. It, they do it because they didn't know how to pace out the storylines. You feel it in the movie. It's repetitive. That's you have really anytime MJ and Aunt May get captured in the third film, I think it happens. It's repetitive. Um, you've got um, literally they kind of do Ben's death over again. Right with Sandman's involvement, that's I think generally considered as being pretty dumb. Like we didn't need that. We didn't need to have Sandman have a personal connection with Spidey. I don't think you don't have it. Not every Spider-Man villain needs a personal connection to Spider-Man. Um, it's repetitive, um, and I think New Goblin, because of his power set and because it's Harry, who's the son of the first guy, I think at times also feels repetitive. And so this movie, I think, sometimes feels watered down because it feels a little bit like movie one and two felt very fresh. The third movie sometimes feels like been there, done that. I think those are my biggest complaints um, with this movie. Okay. Um, well, the, New walk Goblin. Me, walk me through what you me, like this, then. This is what I like. Um, I think if the second movie is all about him and MJ, the third film is all about him and Harry. Right? But um, th- I guess, and I, I'll let you talk, but just to, to state right off the bat, reason I feel, then why the, the amnesia thing? Because uh, to me, that undercuts the whole thing, doesn't it? Is there any like positive that come out of the amnesia thing? It just... It just yeah, I think it's a pacing thing. I think they wanted to have Harry be the bad guy at the beginning and kind of set up some of the tone. They couldn't figure out how to pace the arcs, I think is what happened. It's like when you watch a TV series, a character just disappears off screen for a few episodes, and they come back. 
and either way too much has happened in their life or nothing happened you're like did you do that because the actor was gone for a while or did you do that because you couldn't figure out how to make the character arcs go at the same pace right yeah um yeah i don't like that but i'm saying if the second film was a lot more about him and mg i feel like the third film i think is more about him and harry right you start off with him and harry fighting um i do like the brawl that they have where they're just they're not in suits they're just you know they're they're in i think harry's apartment and they're just duking it out um that brawl i think is is half about spider-man versus goblin but i think is also them trying to resolve some brotherly tensions they've had throughout the trilogy right you know mj ended up with peter um you know harry's dad always liked peter more like some of these things right and yet Harry's got the good looks. Harry's got the money and this ability that goes with that. I think they have some jealousy. They don't know how to communicate it as guys. They fight. It's a trope. It works for me in this movie. Um, I think the action between them is pretty good. The CGI, I think they overstretched a bit at times um, in the first fight. They're going through alleyways. It's a lot at times of like, okay, this looks like just a computer game. Um, and um, the movie ends with them, right? With Harry literally dying in Peter's arms. Um and I think um, that's significant because it's a sad moment, right? They reference it in the newest Spider-Man of like, my best friend died in my arms. It's one of the things they have in their list of bad things that has happened to them. Um, but it also is a good ending because they end up being friends. Harry gets a redemption. He learns to separate himself from his father. Um, I relate to this more as an adult, I think, because if as a kid, I was always pining after women. As an adult, I've had more friendships that are good that have ended right i have in particular i have a best friend from when i was in high school who kind of stopped talking to all of his friends i was in his wedding um and that for me for a few years was hard right people are like oh why are you afraid you can lose friends i'm like oh well because it's happened right and i think as an adult i think i relate to that it's a little more mature storyline the idea of losing a best friend due to a variety of things losing them emotionally is tough um this movie is about them um and yes there may be slightly less interesting than mj and peter but like i think if i mean in some ways i said that their arcs end at the end of the second movie i think you could actually chart harry's arc over the course of all three films pretty well um and i think this movie ends it you can end this movie here if you had done movie four and five this is a great spot to end harry's story he dies in his best friend's arms they fight together which is cool we didn't have a lot of superhero teammates back then so the idea of two superheroes fighting two bad guys yeah was pretty novel at the time. It's a pretty well done fight scene. I don't mind the way that they kick out Venom. Um, I do like that fighting Sandman throughout the movie is different. Um, do you have any thoughts on that before I tell you why I like the MJ stuff still? Well, so this is, I think, an interesting retrospective. because I think you're right. I think the reason people don't like three, there's a lot of reasons. The three is just, I think, poorly made. I think it's poorly paced, poorly written. And mm-hmm. Those are things that come through. But the emotional reason people don't connect to because some people like bad movies. It's just a fact of life. Is I think for the general audience, there's not a real feeling that Harry and Peter were ever that good of friends. I think that's the one part of one that doesn't hit perfectly. I think there's like an interesting relationship, especially considering the father angle of it. But it just never feels like these are two mm-hmm. people who would actually be friends. Yes. Whereas it does feel like yes. Peter and MJ could actually be in a relationship. It's the so one... to have yes. the third movie be about a relationship yes. that is already not yes. 
connected. It's the Civil tough. War qualm, right? Tony and, and Steve, were they ever that good of friends? Not really. They're at odds the whole time they're on screen. Harry and Peter are often at odds in these movies. I think it works because of the actors. It works for me because of the actors and because I'm putting on some of my ideas of friendship on it. I think you have to imagine to some extent what they would have been like. Like the first few scenes they have in Spider-Man 1, you sense how good of friends they are. It goes off the rails throughout the rest of the trilogy. You have to keep those scenes in mind. And I watch these movies back to back all in a week. Um, I was able to keep that in mind more by the time I got to movie three. If you haven't seen one or two in forever and you just watched three, it's like, why are they friends? What do they have in common? Um, Yes, I agree, though. I think um, people don't care about Harry as much. I think even if James Franco hadn't had all the stuff that happened, I don't know if he'd be back again. I know people talked about MJ coming back for the new Spider-Man. They're like, oh, that'd be fun. People weren't super stoked to have Harry back, right? Right. I, I agree. I agree. People don't care as much about the relationship. I'm just saying this is why as an adult, I think I connected with it when watching the trilogy over the course of five days. Um, yep. I got you. Yeah. I also love the MJ stuff. Um, I think the MJ stuff is more mature. I think it's more mature themes. I think you talked about how in the first film, Peter seems to get what he wants with his powers. And then he has to deal with some of the ramifications of those. I think this third film is showing partially the challenges of what the relationship would actually look like. Right. So this is, think of this as a, this is a TV show, right? Like, Oh, they get together at the end of the second season. Like, okay, well, now what? Now what does the relationship look like? I also think, um, but Peter has to really struggle with, okay, the city loves him. Things are good with his with Aunt May. Things are good with MJ. They're not good with Harry. In the middle of the movie, they are. Harry's got amnesia. So there's a period in the middle of this movie where it seems like everything's going his way. It's the opposite of the second movie. It's a mirror image of the second film. Um, and it goes to Peter's head. And I can relate to that. I think... Um, Coach, you once told me, I'm a big fan of the show Survivor. You don't want me to go on because either I'm going to lose and you'd be sad for me or I'm going to win and become insufferable. Um, That's exactly I think there's some. I think there's some truth to that. Um, I think for me, uh, it's like, man, if I got the job where I get all the respect and the money, if I get the girl of my dreams, right? Um, if I had, you know, the exact physique that I wanted, um, I'm not saying I would become insufferable. I would have to, be att- pay attention to what's going on inside myself, right? Like, like you know, am I leaning on these things too much? Am I becoming too selfish now that good things are happening to me? Peter is a jerk in this movie. I think it's hard for people to watch because you love him in the first two films. Like, he literally kisses another girl. Um, I buy his whole dance routine. I know people hate it. Um, I think if, if Peter were going to go off the rails, like, that is how this character would go off the rails, like, in a silly, weird way. Um, but he is a total jerk to MJ through so much of this movie. It's not fun, um, but it certainly is interesting. I found it pretty relatable. I think most of us have things in our life where the good thing happens, and if we're not paying attention, um, we can get selfish, right? As people were selfish, he is a human like everybody else. The other thing in this movie, he's only like 21, right? He's like not that old. He's not like a fully, his brain's not fully developed yet. Right, he's still in, in late adolescence, essentially. Um, and yeah, especially at that age, when you get the things you really want, um, I think uh, you can go off the rails. So I think that's a more mature storyline, um, thematically speaking. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's even the best done. Um, but I do think there's some really interesting character stuff in there. If you would have made a four, five, six movie series, they were going to make another um, I think this is a pretty important movie for Peter. I think in this movie, he decides who he wants to be as much as films 
one and two. Um, he's got to have humility even when things do go well. And it's interesting. It's interesting to have things finally going well for a character. You know, it's like in Big Bang Theory. What happens when Raj gets a girlfriend, right? If it's just like, yeah, it's great. Well, that's sad. I think that speaks to your point of why you want the movies to end after the second film. Right? If he gets yeah. the girl in the third film, what, are things great the whole time? How do you do that dramatically? No, they're not going to be great the whole time. Peter's life's a soap opera. So then what's going to happen? He's got to be a jerk. That's how you continue the story. Um, and actually, I think watching No Way Home actually made me like this movie more because I think when Peter talks about how he eventually made things work with MJ, you see that him trying to figure out how to make things work with her in this movie, right? Them just learning like, oh, you're, you're Spider-Man. Let's do this at the end of the second film. They haven't actually done the relationship yet. You see them doing it poorly and well in this film. I think it makes No Way Home actually a better movie when Peter talks about the relationship. When do you see it do? When do you see the relationship being done well in three? Um, I think I think I think I think um, it it I think it ends with him having a lot of humility, and then both realizing how screwed up they are. And it feels a little bit like you ever see like the old married couples that have like gone mm -hmm. through a lot of crap together, and they didn't do it all well, but they just were like, "No, we're staying committed. We're going to figure it out." That's a little bit how they feel at the end of three. Of like, well, we both hurt each other a lot. We both love each other a lot. He goes from wanting to have the rainbows and bows relationship where he proposes to her and things are great to, I think, a more realistic, let's just be there for one another, even when we suck kind of relationship. Uh, it's a lot of it's in subtext. They don't have a ton of scenes that are devoted to that. But I think by the end of this movie, that's where they end. If they did a movie four, you would see more of that, I think. You would have seen, I think, a more realistic, we really trust each other. We also know we're going to keep hurting each other kind of relationship. Um that you have in, you know, long-term relationships like that. Yeah, I do. I do agree that the movie's bogged down by not having a fourth. I think it is, but it was just so bad. There's nothing you could. I, mean, I think. Yeah, when, I, don't, when, I don't blame him for not making a fourth, right? Yeah, no, it's tough. It is tough for the writer, for the director, to be like, I'm setting certain things up to later go on. Um, I think three is an interesting dynamic in the sense that you bring up good points, that there are interesting things going on, there are themes worth exploring, there are character moments that are worth having, but when you are wrapped in long stretches of boredom, when you have weird things that seem to clash, with like the amnesia thing, like seem to clash with the story and the arc you're trying to have, like even interesting things cannot connect to the audience. Yes. So, like, there is uh, a yes. balance between what is important, what connects to us as people, and like how effectively it's done. Yeah. And I think that's this is a good example of like it was just poorly done. Like, so no matter how interesting some of these themes were, I don't think it was ever going to be a good movie. Yeah. Because it's, it wasn't so done there's, well. there's nine Spider-Man films if we're counting the animated one, which is through and through. It's a Spider-Man film as well. Where there's nine there's nine Spider-Man films. Um, I think this is the second worst. I think Amazing Spider-Man 2 is probably the only one that's definitively worse. Um, however, I find this movie more interesting, and for me as an adult, way more relatable than probably anything that happens in either of Andrew Garfield films, and also anything that happens in Tom Holland's films until his third movie. Um, yeah, I think the earnestness of it, some of that might be, you know, nostalgia as well. Um, I think, yes, there are boring stretches, but I do think 
many of the things this film tries to do. It's almost like when I watched it, I could see the the really good film they were making uh, and could respect it and felt bad for the director that they shoved Venom down his throat. Um, and anytime the studio interferes and says, hey, add this whole other character in, that's a tough spot as a filmmaker. Yeah, it's um, gotta be tough. I mean, I can't, I mean, tough. I can't yeah, imagine. No, it's the second, it's the second worst Spider-Man film for sure. I think it, uh, it's interesting. I think if you want to watch these movies for personal reasons, um, you could take something out from each of these films. Yep, I I think this is I think this was good. I think this is well thought through. I think it's a good point to lead out. I think sometimes people look back at these movies and they go, "Ah, you just like it because nostalgia." Like the the first two films, especially Sam Raimi, is an absolute dynamite director for a reason. Yeah, they're great. He's made a lot of great films, and these are two of them. Uh, and the third one had has its its moments for a reason. Like he. There's really good stuff. There's really yeah. interesting dynamics at play. There are differences between this Peter and Tom Holland. I think some people yes. like Tom Holland's better because it's it is more fun. It does feel a little bit, you know, different. But there's a lot to go on. I do think it's weird that they all look like they're 25 in high school, but it's fine. Like who cares? Get over it. That's one of those complaints that again, it's like. You're complaining just to complain. Like it, it doesn't actually affect the plot, the story, the character yeah, growth. I get if they're like massive dudes who are all tatted up and you're like, why are they playing a fifteen year old? Um I don't have that specific complaint about any of the the guys who played Peter because they like their faces look older, but you're like, Okay, you're like a skinny enough guy. They they all convey mm-hmm. their own type of being a loser pretty well. Of like a loser yeah. in high school. Um I think Tommy McGuire is a fantastic. I think Tommy McGuire is maybe still the best actor who's played Spider-Man. Um, Tom Holland crushes it in the latest film, um, and so I don't think you need to compete between them. Um, I also think uh, Tommy McGuire is more of a millennial Spider-Man. I, I don't yeah. know if I have a lot of words to unpack that, but um, yeah, he is a product of his time. I will say this: we talk now about how Spider-Man and Batman are maybe the two most well-loved superheroes at the moment. Right, if you look at comics, video games, movies, right? Yeah, I mean, if you guys check us out, you by the time this comes out, we'll already have had our entertainment list where we ranked media giants and put them in a tier list. The amount of money that Spider-Man and Batman make compared to Everything every is. other uh, superhero thing is it's obnoxious. Yeah. It's, it's it's through nuts. the roof. Batman, it's Captain Captain America might be the only thing. Competing. Not even close. X Men is okay. the only thing that's even like the whole okay. of X Men. Is the yeah. only thing that's even in the same with stratosphere. More movies, with more movies. Um, but that's a newer trend for Spider-Man, right? People weren't talking about Spider-Man as much in the 70s, right? They were with Batman. Um, I think a lot of that comes back to the first Spider-Man movie. It's one of the first big superhero movies, right? You've got X-Men and I think 2000. And Spider-Man 1 comes out in what, 2004? 2002? It's a two. I think, actually. Um, yeah, two. I don't know if we have the same love as the Society for Spider-Man we have today if not for Spider-Man 1, right? X-Men, I think, you can actually link more to the 90s animated show. And Batman, maybe, even. right? I think we love Batman in society now, and he's grittier due to the Batman animated series, and also the 89 Keaton film. I think, yeah, you can't overlook the societal impact the first Spider-Man film had. Um, and it's it's why Sony's still chugging along. It's why they're still a company. <laughs> Uh, it's why they, yeah, it's why they still make movies. That's for sure. Yeah, it's why they um, make movies. Well, I think this was interesting. I think yeah. it, it's worth exploring. I hope you guys enjoyed. 
as always, if there's ever a movie that anyone in this audience feels connected to and really wants to talk about, hit me up. Join us on the Facebook group. Um, find me on the Marvel Stuff Facebook and just let me know. I think there's every movie has something worth exploring. Like you said, even three, which is, I think, a pretty badly done film, has interesting things to talk about. And every there's a reason we like movies, and it's worth exploring them. So come find us. Come join us. And Ron, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, this was thanks. A ton of fun. Thanks so much for having me. This is a ton of fun. Um, yeah, I challenge somebody to do like Morbius and Venom two, and like the last X Men movie. Do deep dives in those movies. Why do you connect with them? Good I've luck. never met. I still haven't found someone who connects with Morbius. Yeah, I no, I haven't. Has, <laughs> I, have, but... I haven't either. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, Coach. This is a ton of fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Hey guys, in case it wasn't obvious, we here at Marvel Stuff and the Gotham City Rogues podcast do not own any of the IP we talk about. We're just fans having a good time talking about the things we love.